Welcome to episode 39 of the Hockey Free For All podcast. I am your host, Stephen Stiles, and I want to pick right up with, even though there's tons of new stories to talk about, I want to pick up with something we just left off with at the end of episode 38, that being small players cannot be effective in the NHL. They can't succeed. They can't be as successful as six foot plus players can be. They can't hold up to the physical punishment of the league. I call BS on that one, guys. That is just nuts. And and the reason I call BS on that is for a major reason. One player that people will be very familiar with, as he's the current coach of the Montreal Canadiens, Martin St. Louis. I think he was pretty successful, don't you? Theo Fleury in Calgary. Brad Marchant in Boston. Our own Brendan Gallagher in Montreal. All of which have been extraordinary important parts of their teams. And you know what they were all told a lot? You can't make it. Think of this. In Martin St. Louis' case, he didn't even get drafted. He was a free agent. Guess he made a lot of people understand their mistake at that draft and the drafts that he was passed up in. Because obviously he's better than a lot of other NHL players that have been drafted. And with all that said, there must be a horrifying amount of concern for the next generational talent, as he's being referred to, from the Regina Pats of the Western Hockey League, Connor Bedard. Because Connor Bedard is 5'9", 175 pounds. Guess what? Brad Marchant is 5'9", 176 pounds. Brendan Gallagher is 5'9", 175 pounds. And when you don't protect them, yes, they can get hurt. They can be bounced around the ice surface like a pinball. Their careers can be shortened and they can be injured. But if you put them with the right combination of players, guess what? They succeed really, really well. And the only one out of those four players in the NHL that I mentioned so far that has had just ridiculous injuries, of course, would be Brendan Gallagher as he's just been a shell of himself the last couple of years. But that's because literally the same thing happened to him that happened to carry price he got hung out to dry montreal didn't have the talent for the majority of his career to put around him until they had philip deneau and thomas tatar to play with him and they weren't overly physical guys but they were skilled he could move around the ice with them he wasn't stationary so he didn't have a bullseye tagged on his back and wasn't about to get crushed every time So if anybody wants to say, oh, small players, they just can't make it. They're not capable. They won't succeed. Welcome to a group of players that probably got told that a lot as children and said, you know what? Now, just to prove you wrong, now I'm going to do it. And that's exactly what those kind of players do. They have a heart and a passion for the game that a lot of players don't because they've been told no. And they want to make everything happen that they can do and that all their things that they can realize because of their talents come to a reality just to laugh in the face of people that tell them that they can't. But with that ridiculous concept that small players can't make it, a lot of people must be shaking in their shoes about Connor Bedard because one hit and his career is over according to all these people. Back to something I said in episode 38. Very famous quote by Jimmy Johnson from the University of Miami Hurricanes. If it's already by you, you can't hit it. If you can't hit it, you can't affect it. That's exactly what small players are like. They're ghosts. They can move in and out of, weave in and out of things that larger players can't. They're too big. There's too much of them to to take those types of pathways or tunnels through situations. Smaller players can who can emerge on the other side of the ice and before you know it, they're on top of your goaltender burying it in the the upper right-hand corner or in the five hole or wherever they shot it at and they're winning the game. They're setting the records. I still have a question in my mind. Is Connor Bedard a generational talent? We'll find out. I'm not going to critique him. I'm not going to say he is or he isn't. But I will say his competition is Connor McDavid, is Leon Dreisaitl. So we'll see. We'll see how he stacks up against those guys. But we'll see with Connor Bedard. The team that drafts him will be crucial to his success. If he goes to the wrong team that has absolutely zero talent around him and can't protect him, 
yeah, that's going to be a problem. But if he goes to, say, an Anaheim, I think he'll be a lot better off in Anaheim than he would be in Columbus. Columbus doesn't have the supporting cast that he needs. Anaheim has the talent, plays the type of system that he will thrive in, be protected within, and come into his own quicker than he would with, say, a Columbus. And for that matter, even a Chicago, because Chicago has just stripped themselves to the bare bones. He'll be it that they have in Chicago, especially if Jonathan Toez retires. Patrick Kane already got traded. What else is there? Alex DeBrinkett's gone. Kirby Doc's gone. So there's nothing else in Chicago for him right now. So out of the bottom three teams, Columbus, Chicago, and Anaheim, it would be best for Connor Bedard if he goes to Anaheim. I, I have a feeling he won't say it publicly, but I know if I was him, that's where I'd be rooting to go. And I'm not a big fan of California by any stretch of the imagination as far as a state to live in. But that being said, the Anaheim Mighty Ducks are definitely the best out of those three teams. No question about that. It just makes zero sense that a bunch of people want to write off players because they're small. Speaking of players being small, I don't know if anybody recalls this from a previous episode just recently. There were some other small players. Yvonne Cornway, Doug Jarvis, Jacques Lemaire, Ray Janoul. They all did really well. They were all buck 70, buck 75, somewhere in there, weight-wise. 5'9", 5'10", at the max, but 5'9 and under. They did okay. Heck, Yvonne Cornway is Cole Caulfield's size. He was literally 5'7", 165 pounds. I think there's a lot of people that love the Roadrunner. How can you forget him? One of the most important players on an incredibly talented, loaded franchise's rosters year after year. He was incredible. The only person that knows the true talents of these players are those players themselves. I know there's a lot of people that's like, well, I, I know. No, you don't. Nobody has a clue except the person. It's like a person going through a really horrific situation. Only that person knows the true effect of that that's going on on them. Other people can surmise. They can guess. But at best, it's a guess. They have no idea. Even if they've gone through the same thing themselves, everything affects everybody differently. Nobody is that skilled to be able to go, nope, I know exactly how that's going to turn out. But on the sheer chance that there is somebody like that out there anywhere in the world, you should play the lottery because you're cheating yourself out of a lot of money. Moving on, it's finally been great to hear that there are compliments about Nick Suzuki and his choice to be the captain of the franchise that the team decided in the summer. The fact that he's the leader on the team. People are finally realizing his value, or at least beginning to, out there. Kirby Doc is finally getting compliments from people after everybody goes, oh my god, why did we acquire him at the 2022 draft? We didn't need that. We wasted a pick. We wasted an opportunity. That was a bad trade. Kirby Doc's had a career year, and I think he's just getting warmed up. I think everything from this year and before in his career will be looked back way in the rearview mirror very shortly. I think Doc is about to become a very integral part of the Montreal franchise. Cole Caulfield finally being realized as a pure snipe. People wanted to question him. Oh, I don't know if he's got it, really got it. I think it was a lot of luck last year. I think people didn't know about him and things like that. Had he not been injured, I say there's a real promising possibility he could have been a 50-goal scorer this year, at least a 45. Because in playing only 46 games, he already had 26. So he was on his way for that. And it's been absolutely fantastic for people to have to bow down and realize how wrong they were, not only in the fact that could three rookie defensemen make the NHL club this year, I said all along up as many as five could. And guess what? Five did. Justin Barron, 
Jonathan Kovacevic, Jordan Harris, Arbor Jackye, Caden Gooley. And there probably would have been a perfect room for a sixth rookie next year on that defense if Mike Matheson hadn't come back and hasn't played like he has out of his mind since returning. He has been another fantastic trade addition. Everybody you know, just wanted to hang Ken Hughes out to dry over the summer. He got taken by the Penguins. He didn't get enough for Jeff Petrie. Wow, did he get the last laugh on everybody. And just like I said, right after that trade was made, Matheson is younger. He's a better skater. He's a better shooter. He's an incredible team guy. Great guy in the locker room. And why people didn't warm up to him right off the bat? Guess what? He's a local. He's a francophone. That should have right off the bat endeared him as much as all the obsessive stuff that continues to go on about Pierre-Luc Dubois. At least Matheson is a real talent. I'm sorry, I'm not ready to say that about Pierre-Luc Dubois even yet. Because last year he had 28 goals and 60 assists, as we've already talked about. Or excuse me, 28 goals and 60 points. This year, he has in the mid-high 20s in goals again, but not much in the ways of assists. He doesn't have a very impressive point total. And he's whining again in Winnipeg like he did in Columbus. Do you really want that distraction on the Montreal Canadiens roster or within its organization? We just spent years ridding the organization of those kinds of problems. And finally, they're on the verge. There's still a couple more to get rid of, but the major ones are gone and it's finally being cleaned out of the organization. Do you really want that to re-enter the organizations? That's why I'm saying at the very best, if anybody thinks they've got to have Pierre-Luc Dubois sign him as a free agent. But even when they do that, he is nowhere near worth what Caulfield or Suzuki are getting paid. And he's definitely not a $9 million player in the National Hockey. He's just not. Maybe he's a $6 million player. Maybe. But he is not worth more than Nick Suzuki. And I said Cole Caulfield earlier because his new contract, I'm going to guess, I have no inside information of any kind, is going to be right in line with Suzuki's. And he's not worth what either one of those players are. And that's why I've said he's not even worth Owen Beck in a straight-up one-for-one trade. You want to trade Christian Dvorak? Okay. But I wouldn't even trade Christian Dvorak or Josh Anderson for him because those can get you first-round picks in trades. Why would you give up a player that you could get for an unrestricted UFA, no cost to the organization for any assets or players, and give up a player for him? But first, all the naysayers with the management, they have had nothing but a touch of gold with everything that they've done, every trade they've made, every contract that they've moved. They have done nothing but perfection. Martin St. Louis, for all the inexperience that he didn't supposedly have, never, like Kent Hughes, never been in that position before, didn't have any experience behind it. I argue if he's already not the best coach in the league. I'll bet that if you asked most players in the league the coach they'd want to play for, I bet his name comes up more than anybody else's. Anybody else's. And I totally squash the concept that he needs a veteran voice to bounce ideas off of. The guy is light years ahead of everybody else in the league already. He's rethought the game. He's maintained thinking the game is a Stanley Cup champion player. He's an outside of the box and finally is somebody that's getting away from the status quo, traditional way that has just been the center of problems for many teams in the league forever. 
It's the definition of insanity, isn't it? If you try the same thing repeatedly and expect a different result to appear or come out of it, is that not the definition of insanity? Why would you, well, you know, we got to have a veteran presence. Why would that be? Because the Elaine Vanios, the Dominic Ducharmes, the Claude Julians, the retreads and things that were hired multiple times in Montreal. Oh, it'll work this time. Oh, it'll be different. Thank God we have a veteran coach because there won't be any risk. At least they'll know what they're doing. Yeah, that turned out really well. Not one of them ever gave the younger players in the organization a chance to grow, a chance to evolve, shown them that there's a path in the organization for them. Those are some of the main reasons why all these young players are excelling. They're being given open opportunities and invitations. Hey, if you can prove to me you can do it, you're here. That's all a player wants. A player wants a chance. More than anything else, they want an honest, open chance to be a member of the club that has either drafted them or that they've signed with. Everything else is secondary. The next important thing, after they decide to either get married, settle down, whatever the reason is, then they might pick a city or location or have preferences because that's where they want to live. But other than that, the primary thing that all players play for, especially first coming into the league, is a chance to be part of it and to make that roster and be a regular. And if they're given that opportunity, they're happy. If they're not, they're like, well, guess I'm going somewhere else. But Martin St. Louis has been one of and arguably the best thing that's happened to the Canadians as a coach since Scotty Bowman. The period of time from 1980 up until the morning that Martin St. Louis walked through the doors in Montreal as coach is something most people would like to erase from their memory. Think about it. Other than 1986 and 1993, from 1980 to the day Martin St. Louis walked through the door, there's not much that anybody else wants to remember. That's probably a very dark and could arguably be the darkest period in the great history of the Montreal Canadiens. That's not good. But now you got people that's like, oh, well, you know, next year, when Matheson, Savard, and Edmondson are all healthy at the same time, Montreal can select the best three of the kids who have been on the defense this year and send everybody else to Laval. Uh-uh. No. Not a chance. Those five rookies have made the club. Those are five spots that are taken by Kovacevic, Baron, Gouli, Jackeye, and Harris. And the, and the sixth spot, and I'm not saying he's the number six defenseman, but the to complete the group of six bodies on defense, Matheson is there. That's it. Sorry to say the time has arrived to move on with Savard and Edmondson. And I'm not saying they're not worthwhile. I'm not saying they don't have a good effect on the team, but there's no room for them. And you're not going to sit your rookies sitting on the bench, sitting in the press box, has nowhere near the benefit and experience that playing time does. And that's something that St. Louis has subscribed to and has made a major point of every day since coming to the organization and that's why those players have all excelled so unfortunately it's time for Edmondson and Savard to move on there's just no room for them and there's players down in Lavelle but before we get there same thing with Chris Weidman time for him to go Corey Shermanman Otto Leskinen Tori Dello it's time for all those guys to go in Montreal and Lavelle there's too many prospects coming up that are ready to take their spot to the point in which probably Matthias Nordstrom probably will never get a shot in Montreal there was just too many good prospects at the same time and we haven't even talked about lane hudson or logan mylou what are you gonna do with them now the good news with them is lane hudson probably is two years away even if he was to go pro after this season probably will need two years in the minors not for any skill reason he's a very special talent we all know that but to physically mature to a level and at a pace that he will protect himself and be able to have a long 
long-term career. That's the only thing they got to worry about with him. And if he builds himself up physically and becomes one of those 5'8", 5'9", 5'10", 190, 200-pound guys, he'll be just fine. He'll be just fine, not a problem. On Logan Mylou, or regarding Logan Mylou, the only thing, and you got to reach for this one with him, defensively, he's not as amazing as he is offensively and in the transitional game right now. He's really good defensively, but he's amazing. Offensively, the transition game, his skating game, everything else is amazing. It's just his defensive part of his game is really good. If you look at his stature and you look at where he is in his junior career, he is replicating Larry Robinson right now. Now, before anybody loses their mind, I'm not saying Logan Mylou is going to be Larry Robinson. There's only ever been one Larry Robinson, and that's Larry Robinson himself. But there's a lot of similarities. Coming out of Kitchener, Larry Robinson was 6'3", 212 pounds. He was a big, offensively gifted, great skating defenseman. That is Logan Mylou. Whether he can turn into that level of player, there's those that are starting to believe he can. I'm one of them. We'll see. I Again, not a popular draft pick. The organization took a lot of heat for some off-ice issues and things like that, but they may have ended up doing something that Bergevin said the night they drafted him, he was better than anything in the draft after at least the 15th pick in the first round. He was better than anything from 16 to 30 that night. They felt they got a top 10 talent, and in reality, although people want to give Bergevin a ton of flack and criticize him and critique him for everything, he may turn out to be right yet again. And keep in mind, this is the guy that people want to complain about and people want to critique and want to castrate, but he's the guy that brought you Nick Suzuki. He's the guy that drafted Cole Caulfield. He's the guy that drafted Logan Mylou, Sean Farrell, Caden Gooley, Jordan Harris. He's the guy that said, yeah, you can do a walk-on to Arbor Jacki, and they signed him. So did the guy make mistakes? Yes. I'm not trying to say he's a perfect person. But the guy right now is the reason a lot of the prospects that Montreal has and that the organization is flush with was on his watch. Now, the 2022 draft by the replacing administration? Yes, Uri Slavkowski, Owen Beck, Lane Hudson, virtually up and down all seven rounds looks to be an incredible draft. Absolutely. But don't critique Bergevin when he's responsible for a lot of the talent in that organization that's coming and that arrived this year and last. Now, back to 1986 and 1993. The reason I held those two years out of the last 43 years, yes, they won the Stanley Cup in those two years. But even more importantly than that, the people that truly understand that organization and its great history know that those two years and those two rosters also came together as a team, played for each other as well as themselves, and exhibited a level of passion for the game that they love that had not been seen since the 70s. That's why those two years stand out. Yes, that concluded in them or resulted in them winning the Stanley Cup, but the level of camaraderie, one for all, all for one, all in mental attitude and passion for the game had not been seen on that level since those 70s teams that had it every year, every night which of course is what makes those teams so special. But that's the reason those two years of 86 and 93 stand out in the 1980 to the morning just before Martin St. Louis walked in the door. And just to stay away from injuries for one episode, let's end on the topic of goaltending. That's the other chaotic topic right now that people are like, oh my God, we've got nothing in goal. The the organization is totally talentless in that position. No, it's not. Sam Montebo has been more this 
season than thought possible. He's been a fantastic story to go along with the five rookie defensemen, Nick Suzuki and his captaincy, the emergence and solid play and career year that Kirby Dock has had, the pure sniper that now people understand Cole Caulfield actually is, and not to be left out, the incredible story of Raphael Harvey Pinard and what he's evolved into just coming literally out of nowhere. But with all of those incredible positive results, somebody had to be negative or otherwise piss in the bowl of the Wheaties and not let everybody enjoy the positivity of this season by calling out the position of goaltenders like, oh my God, we have nothing in goal. Sam Montembeau has proven to be at least given a chance to be the number one goalie next year. Will he be? Who knows? You can't predict that. But then again, a lot of other players like Raphael Harvey Pernard, for an example, was an unexpected and nobody gave a chance to. And guess what? It's happened for him too. Let's be honest about goal. Carey Price's chances of coming back are just shy of zero. Even if he has a lot of luck on his side. We're talking about a guy that still can't climb stairs. Before anything else, I hope Carey Price, like I've said on other episodes, is able to recover to a point that he can live a full active life with his family, play catch with his kids, all those kind of things. I think that's first and foremost for him. To this day, it seems like a lot of people have just either blanked out or forgotten his statement on the last game of last season when Montreal won 10-2 against the Florida Panthers when he said, if this is my last game, I am at peace with everything. I'm okay with it. That, to me, was the statement that said, I'm not telling you in the outright words, but don't expect me back. That's exactly what that was. That was a very, what they like to call a soft retirement if you will without officially saying any moving on to jake allen i'm sorry his time's over with last year and this year he too has been bitten by the injury bug but his gameplay has not been consistent jake allen deserves to go to a team that is a true contender that he can play on nights that the starting main goaltender needs a rest that he can step in win those games keep the team on their hot streak that is the perfect scenario for jake allen but jake allen is done in montreal and caden primo clearly is not the answer He's just not. Montreal is not the right fit. And it's not just Montreal. You could add Dallas, Tampa, Florida, Detroit, St. Louis, Chicago, Carolina, Washington, Pittsburgh, the Rangers. The list is endless okay there's certain cities and certain styles and organization expectations that some players just don't fit into now with those cities listed and the fact that there is even more where could he succeed and have a really solid productive career philadelphia jersey san jose vegas anaheim vancouver calgary winnipeg if Hellebeck leaves, which seems likely, Los Angeles could be another option for him. Arizona could be. If you notice something about most of those franchise cities, with the exception of maybe Philadelphia and Jersey, most of those cities exist where he could just blend in and be himself and not be constantly under the scrutiny of either the organization, its fans, or anything else. He's just one of those kind of players, has that kind of personality that just wants to blend in and be Caden Primo and nothing else and not continuously hounded. And you know what? I have a fair amount of respect for the guy for that. He knows what he likes. He knows what he prefers. That's impressive. That That's not a bad thing. That's nothing to call him out on, find fault with, or anything else. But as I've mentioned on other episodes, you have Yakov Dabish. You have Emmett Crotour already in the pipeline. If the moment the season ends for the college players and the teams they play for, if the Canadians go right out and sign Yanev Peretz from Quinnipiac, Ludwig Pearson from Miami of Ohio, Ian Shane from Cornell, you're good. I'm not saying every one of them is going to 
finish out, but I got a specific feeling about Yaniv Peretz from Quinnipiac. I think he's going to do something special, especially if he signs with Montreal. But I could also see Anaheim scooping him up. I can see San Jose scooping him up. I hope Montreal gets him. I really do. I think Yaniv Peretz from Quinnipiac has more going for him and a higher skill set than even anything coming out of the 2023 draft. And there's a lot of people I'm sure would immediately turn their nose up at that. Time will tell if I'm wrong. And if I am, I am. I'm okay with that. But my money is on that kid from Quinnipiac. And if they go go out and get all three of those guys, they're like, well, where are you going to put them all? Well, remember at that point, if you carry Price is already out, if you trade Allen and you move on from Caden Primo, you only have at that point Sam Montebo in Montreal, Jakob Dabish in the AHL at that point. So you got room for all three because potentially Jakob Dabish could be the backup to Sam Montebo or Montebo could be the starter there and Dabish could be the starter in the AHL. You still need a guy behind him. You got an ECHL team in Trois Rivere. So you got room for him. It's not that they can't put him anywhere. I can only imagine the masses that would say, that's absolutely insane. Why? Why can't any one of those players come to Montreal next year or make an impact in the organization just like the five rookie defensemen did this year? That also, everybody said there was no chance there would be three of, let alone five. Why can't that happen? Those are the same old ways of thinking, the same status quo that ruin organizations. It's the same thing that has happened to Montreal in the last 43 years, other than the years of 86 and 93 that has put that team into a time of darkness like no other in its history by maintaining those same old beliefs. For years, fans have been calling for a think of an outside-of-the-box organization. That is exactly what Jeff Gordon, Kent Hughes, Martin St. Louis are and have done. And the goal-pretending position should be thought of no differently. And everybody's like, well, it's never happened before. Think back to Ken Dryden and what he did in 1971 when he came to the organization late in the season, only played eight regular season games that year, and had the playoffs that he had. Why couldn't one of them do that too? Was Ken Dryden a household name when he was at Cornell? Heck, he came through the Boston Bruins organization. Why couldn't that happen again? Think of all the things that have happened this year that nobody said was possible. Why isn't that possible? On that note, thank you for tuning into episode 39 of the Hockey Free For All podcast. I am your host, Stephen Stiles. Have a fantastic weekend. 